Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Hi guys, I hope you're well. As ever, we're really quickly going to run through this week's itinerary so you know exactly what we're going to be discussing on this uh, episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. So we had a very special guest in Mark Bright and we discussed his uh, career uh, playing at different clubs within the Premier League. We discussed the the book that was published uh, quite recently, uh, his current work at Crystal Palace and the development of uh, the youth. Uh, as well as all things Wilfred Zahar as he celebrates a decade at Crystal Palace. Stay tuned. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge, joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej. Gents, how are we feeling? I'm good Budge man, how are you bro? Yeah, not too bad man, not too bad. Uh, sitting at, um, at my dining table looking out the window, it's, it's, it's nice and sunny outside. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I can't enjoy uh, um, the, the, the lovely weather being stuck indoors. But well, you can if you have like a continues. garden, you can probably, you know, sunbathe or something in the garden. <laughs> Get on with it. Dead, are you all right? Yeah, no. you, you good, Dead? Yeah, I'm doing, you know, not bad to be honest. And obviously, I'm on my dining table as well. But yeah, I'm I'm getting used to this you yeah. know, isolation period, man. You know, I don't <laughs> mind my own company as well. So yeah, I'm not doing too bad. Fair, fair play. Now we um we have a very special guest on on the line who joins us today. You will have uh, heard him just a few moments ago. He's uh he's raring to go. He's uh he, he's <laughs> nice and warmed up and 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 ready for us to crack on. He um he didn't want uh, uh, an intro, but we uh we're, we're gonna we're gonna give him one anyway. We said that's he's, the terms and conditions. The, that's the terms and the conditions. You know, <laughs> he, he doesn't want the glitz and the glam, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give him his flowers, as Dot likes to say. Um, he's he's a he's a gentleman from from uh, Stoke on Trent, who are obviously uh, very well known for their pottery industry. I don't know he's a I don't know if he's uh, too good with uh, ceramics, but I know he's a uh, half decent with a ball at his feet. Um, he's a, a former Premier League player who uh, gained acclaim for his time at Crystal Palace in the main, 
where he uh, helped the team to win promotion out of the second division in 1989 and built a, a formidable partnership with a certain Ian Wright. This uh, gentleman scored 114 goals and 186 appearances um, for the club. He's also played for Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Charlton Athletic, um, among others. He's a, a sports correspondent, ambassador for Crystal Palace, and now a published author. His uh, autobiography, um, From Foster Care to Footballer, was uh, published in November of uh, 2019. He's a regular competitor in the uh, London Marathon, raising funds for various charities, um, and still the leading Premier League goalscorer for Sheffield Wednesday with 48 goals. Wow. Um, we welcome, we welcome the very special uh, Brighty, Mark Bright to the platform. <laughs> welcome, Mark. Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome, welcome Mark. It's a, it's a privilege. Um, just before we start, you're actually my manager's boyhood hero. So he was like, oh, I was actually wearing a Mark Bright shirt yesterday. Make sure you ask him this and that. So we're here to probe you. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have him on. I mean, obviously my growing up in Crystal Palace's academy, you know, those murals and pictures and photos. All, all of Mark Bright around the stadium. So um, yeah. it's a pleasure to have you on. You're a legend. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> and I told you I didn't want all that at the start as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had to do it anyway, Mark. Our, our apologies. We, we had to give you your flowers, right? So, so, so we're go- we're going to kick things off, and 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 as ever, we're going to start off with the early days, um, and 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 your sort of uh, earliest memories in in football. Now, of course. Um, you, you know, your your book, uh, as, as as entitled um, "Foster Care to Footballer," was was talking about your sort of career and and how uh, things started off for you. Of course, from a, a young age, you were sort of taken into care. Um, and so, what I really wanted to start off with was asking you about, um, you know, the, the the support system that you had around you when you were first making your 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 initial strides into the game. Were well, you know, your, your foster care is very supportive and, and very encouraging of your aspirations to be a footballer? No. <laughs> right. Um, okay. I had a... So, for the, for the majority... I had three different foster carers. Obviously, my, my real gran, who tried to keep the family together, and that didn't last very long, back in home, out to a, a lady called Nana Parton, and we had a, a few years with her, but she was getting old. Her daughters were getting married and moving out, so um, we then left there and then went to the Davises and the Davises um, is where I spent, we spent 10 years. So it's like six, six, six to 16, so 17 years of age, something like that. And um, they were a, um, a couple from Lancashire. Um, we used to call them grand and granddad and my granddad worked down the pit and my, my grand was like a, a housewife. So we spent the majority of time with them and um, you know, all our growing up was done in kids Grove and a place in Stoke on Trent and my granddad never came to see me play once. Never, never, he said, if you're any good, I'll hear about it. And wow. um, obviously, when you used to reach finals or things like that when you were young, you used to say, Will you, are you going to come and watch? Granddad? No, don't worry. I'll, I'll, hear if you, I'll hear if you win and that sort of thing. And um, so my, my brother was my sort of like my, my biggest supporter. So um, he used to come and sort of do the, the cheerleading and encourage and... Um, and, and, and lift you up when things weren't going well and, and when things are really going well make sure you don't get too ahead of yourself so yeah so they they, they were the early years I didn't have the full you have obviously the, the support in terms of parenting 
they 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 pick up where you know your parents didn't and and take you forward so but in terms of support to play football never I was it was a matter of jumping on the bus and going places or being picked up by people um making my own way that's what it was you know if you want it go and do it so mark in in your book you know you reference you know like you know having to be like strong mentally and for me is again it's like a life lesson in terms of like actual actually living your life you talk about you know hardships a lot a lot of the time you know throughout your journey so do you think that made you stronger on the football pitch as well yeah definitely i think um you know there's no success without struggle Mm. in in anything in any walk of life and you know in in, the history will show you that you know you have to fight for for what you believe is right and you know wars and things like that you know you know south africa you know nelson mandela and all that sort of thing it's you know history just shows you that you know there has to be struggle and there has to be fights and to be successful and you enjoy the success more there's no easy route to it there's very few people can have a smooth path mm. to success very few so all those things toughen you up along the way um make you more resilient um knockbacks you know we've all had them you, or you will get them when as you move forward in your lives and, and careers um Promotions, what you think you'll get and you won't get, you know, as as somebody working in an office or whatever, and as a footballer wanting to play at the highest level and don't manage to get there, and you have to settle for the championship or you settle for leagues one or two, um, and then you 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 take your career from there. So, you know, as you said before, everything makes you tougher, makes you stronger. The knockbacks are, are for a reason, and everybody's everyone's been on the receiving end of it, and that's why you encourage the youngsters. You try and guide them to yeah. make their career path easier but you what you say is look there will be disappointments along the way guaranteed you, you don't not every season's a great season you, you don't you don't hit your the highs you know often enough um and then the, the poor season where you don't get in the team enough you don't get enough minutes and you or you get keep, get, keep getting pulled off or whatever it's um you know these things are, are set to test you but definitely 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 your your early years will shape your life yeah so um that was a great you know insight into you know the mindset of becoming you know a professional athlete but what i wanted to ask is when was the moment that arrived that you thought you know what i want to be a professional footballer early really early um junior school and then when when we got to the senior school when you were like 12 or something you go to senior school I mean, in the book, I explained that there was a teacher called Mr. Arkle and um, he was like the careers officer, sort of metalwork teacher. And um, he had some time to kill at the end of um, end of class. And he said, right, I'm just going to go around the, around the room and just point to you and tell me what you're going to do when you leave school. And he pointed to me, he's bright. Sir, <laughs> I've read this. What you do when you, do when you leave school, right? I'm going to be a footballer, sir. And then everybody obviously laughed and... And he said, right, I mean, stop messing about what you're going to do. I said, I'm going to be a footballer, sir. And he said, okay, what's plan B? I said, plan B. And obviously I was doing that sarcastic kind of tone. Plan B, sir? <laughs> yes, right, plan B. Plan B, yes. I wanted to be a uh, a doctor, right? You know, I ended up being a teacher. Oh, unlucky, sir, never mind. And then obviously everyone was laughing. So he said, stay behind. Everyone leaves. And he said, right, put the chairs up on the desks. And he said, right, I'm really worried about you. 
you're a bit of a dreamer. You, you you've got you you haven't got a plan B, Mark. And I'm telling you now, in life, you need a backup plan. If you add sir, sir, I'll be I'll be fine. Don't worry, don't worry. So I'm, I can't get out of the room quick enough. He's he can sense that I'm not interested in what is it saying, but I'm kind of nodding in appreciation. And anyway, he said, "Go on, off you go." And um, imagine when, like years later, I'm at Wembley. Oh, it's ten mm. years later, probably. 26 years of age, 27, something like mm-hmm. that. And you get all these telegrams, which is mm-hmm. for the youngsters, it's a text on a piece of paper in a yellow envelope. And you, you, you open it and, and it's gone, son, you, I'm the proudest man of Stoke-on-Trent, be a winner. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it filled me up. And, you know, um, I told the story on the radio not long ago and uh, Mr. Arkell's daughter was listening. She was driving somewhere, listening, and she said she burst out crying. And she emailed the club and said, you know, could you pass this email forward to Mark? And said, Mark, I was listening to you on the radio the other day, and that's my dad. And he told me the story. And um, and she, I, I said to her, oh, Christ, I'm like, have you got any pictures? I'll try and get a picture of him in the, in the paperback. So she sent me some pictures of him. And as soon as she sent the pictures, I laughed my head off because he was a big, strong, bearded guy. And he cared, he cared, you know, but yeah, so that was just one of those instances where he was, he was worried for me because if you set your heart on something so much as we all have done in life and you don't get, get it, your heart broken, but you have to learn from the knocks. Mm, you have to move 100%. forward from it. So you can't, you, you can't guide your kids past every pitfall in life. They've got to make mistakes and they've got to put things right because that's how you have to learn to do things in life. Otherwise you do everything for them and that's not right to do everything for them. You know, what it's like in life you, you, you make mistakes. You say, do you know what? I'm not going to do that again, you know, cause you learn from it. hundred percent. You know, I, I remember listening to that, um, that interview, Mark, I think it was on BBC five live. Um, when, yes. when I first heard that story and it was, yeah, it, it, it was great to hear. And actually I wanted to ask you a question, which was uh, a two part question off, off the back of um, that, that story. Um, and the first one is, I know, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, um, Mr. Arkell did uh, pass away. Yes. I, I wanted to ask if you could have one last conversation with him or if there was one message you could send to him um, that he could hear, uh, what would that message be? Well, well, when when I went back to the school, the school invited me to go back after the the, the, the final and to take my shirt and my medal and display it in the cabinet at the front where everyone comes in to go to assembly. And um, the, the headmaster asked me to address assembly and Mr. Arco was still at the school. And um, I, saw, I sat on the, on the, obviously the stage with the headmaster and he said, we've got a very special guest today, today, you all know who it is, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I said, I've sat where you've sat and I've thought what you've thought and I've done what you've done. I said, you can ask, there's teachers at this, in the out, on the outside of this room now, we're at this school when I was here, and I wasn't the best pupil, I can tell you that now. They will they will vouch for me. I said, but there was one teacher, and I don't want to embarrass the teacher, who, who insisted on me to ha- trying to have a backup plan. And my only wish, if I could do it all again, would be to have a backup plan, to work harder at school, to work harder and get uh, academically, to leave this school with the best qualifications that I could. And that's my one regret. And if I could do it all again, I'd work a lot harder. And the headmaster said, did I ask you to say that? I said, no. And he said, right, did you hear that? He was he would work hard. I said, all these teachers are here for your benefit. You might think he doesn't like me, she doesn't like mm. me. He, 
right? It's not like that. These guys know what's ahead for you lot. And they know that it's going to be tough. When you leave this school and go out into the big, bad world, everyone's competing for the same jobs. Yeah, They want you to have an advantage, you know, by having better qualifications. And and so I said, my, my message to you is, have a, have a, don't, don't be scared to dream. Dream and do what you want to do or where you want to go, what you want to be, a hairdresser, mechanic, whatever it is, dream, dream of being that. I said, but you know what? Work as hard as you can. Work as hard as you can at this school to make sure that when you do leave, you leave with the best qualifications that you can possibly get. Mm. And that's that, that was my regret. And and at the end, when we went into the staff room, remember the staff room, you like the, you, what happens in the staff room, you know? And then you go in, as you know, and, and you, everyone's shaking hands and saying, well done. And he came to me and said, oh, Mark, thanks for saying that. Really appreciate it. And, and you, you know, it's true that he's worried for you, but you're the arrogance in you or the confidence, the overconfidence in you. And he can see it, right? He's thinking, this guy's in for a shock. Because I know how lucky I was to, to play football professionally. I, I always, I tell the kids at the, at the football club at Palace, there's three and a half thousand, roughly three and a half thousand professional footballers in Scotland and England, right? There's six leagues. There's the Premier League, the Championships, Leagues 1 and 2, and then the Scottish Prem and, and the Scottish Championship, right? So mm. there's six leagues, three and a half thousand. There's 2.7 players per place. I said, how good are you lot? How good are you to make up a professional footballer who earns his living playing in that first team when there's 2.7 players for per, per position? Mm. I said, you, you boys, you've got a max out. You've got to give it everything you've got. <laughs> and they don't understand because they don't. They think they're going to make it. But when you sit in front of them and say, one of you lot might make it, might yep. make it. Yep. You know? And my, the story I like to say to them is, if I'd have told you a story of a, a player who was at this football club 10 years ago or 20 years ago who got in our first team stayed in our first team and got sold to Manchester United for £50 million, you'd be all like, ooh, wow. I said, but I don't need to tell you that story. That happened right in front of you because you all saw him do it, Aaron Basaka. You all saw him work really hard, train with the first team, get into the first team, stay in the first team, move on to, to um, uh, play for Manchester United and now playing for England as well, part of the setup. So these are things, guys, that should inspire you and make you work hard because you saw what he, how he had to do it. He had to work really hard. He trained against Wilf every day. Mark, can I just just jump in there? I think I've got a, a question for Dej actually because Dej was, you know, a, a academy, um, you know, product um quite a, a while back. But Dej, how was the mentality back then? Did you feel that you were going to make it as a professional footballer? Um, to be honest, when I was young, before I got into the academy um, set up, I thought, yeah, you know what? Football is going to be my job. Then when you go into the academies, I was at Fulham before. And obviously, I think it depends on managers as well. Can managers get the best out of you? But ultimately, can you get the best out of yourself? And when I went into Crystal Palace, the environment, I sort of doubted myself. Like I probably went away from what I was as a youngster. And obviously, I played with Wilf. And we were at the same age, around, what, 14, 15? And you could see physically he was probably underdeveloped, but he had the mentality. And as Mark said, the coach said to us, only one of you are going to make it. Mm. So I was with Wilfred, Jake Caprice, Ibra, 
And obviously, Jake has made it to a very, very good level at um, yeah. Tranmere. And obviously, yeah. Wilfred, he's excelling. He's going from strength to strength. So I think when you go into academy, you don't think I'm going to make it. But you think, you know what, every training session, I'm going to try and put my best output and try and get into the team. And hopefully you need that bit of luck as well to um, make it to the top level as well. Mm. Mark, I think that's true. It's absolutely true that no player will mention anything about their career Mm. without mentioning the word luck. You do need a little bit. Mm. You can be unlucky with timings, Mm. you know, because if you're, like you said, with Will, watching Will from an early age, he just had this, not arrogance, where is it? It's just, he had, well, we, we call it sort of like, the X factor sort of thing. You has 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 he got it? It has he got it? And that surrounds that ag- aggression, the work ethic, the yes. on field, off field, right? So yes. some people have some, and most don't have all of it. So you can have greater, but we've all played with players who've got great ability. I wasn't the best one in my school year. Wasn't the best one, um, but it's the the package. And it's hard to, yep. to to say to someone, just because you've got great ability doesn't mean you're going to make it. We've all seen the kids in the academy where you go, oh, my God, oh, my God, look at this guy. Oh, my <laughs> God, look at this guy. Right, but they don't have the mentality. They want to go out Friday night and they want to drink and they want to, some of them want to indulge in drugs and things like that. You have to pay the price. Right, so it, 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 there's, there's no success without sacrifice. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you have to reiterate to these guys as well, you need to do the whole thing. That means going home. That means resting. That means watching football matches. That mm. means studying the guy who mm. plays in your position. Yeah. Watching the watching prem watching match of the day or watching live football, Champions League, whatever it is, and looking at the guy who plays in your position saying, How can I improve? How can I I can remember when I was at Crystal Palace and I was like mid twenties and I drove one night to Aston Villa to see Inter Milan. And um the striker was, oh my God, I forget, I forget the striker was now. And I drove just to see him, Graziani, his name was, which was mm. a striker number nine. And um, I, I, I came back and Steve, I said to Steve Crockett, I went to um, Villa last night to watch the um, in, Inter Milan and everything. He goes, oh, did you? I said, yeah, I, went, I wanted to see that Graziani live. And I said, I learned a lot watching him. He didn't stop running. He chased everything. He pressed people. He dropped in. He defended. He held it up. He got free kick. I've just learned a lot watching him. So, in, in, in when I when I was already playing top flight football, I went to educate myself to look at someone who's better than me yeah. and see how you can learn off them. Hmm. You know, so you just watch people around you. I remember watching Graham Sharp, who was at Everton, and how good he was at jumping and, and, and flicking and holding the ball. Yeah, and thinking, oh, I, I need to do that better. I need so you. You judge yourself against your peers, you know. You're playing against it, though, that, that, that level. Teddy, Teddy Sheringham and and and, um, and Cascarino, you know, Wrighty and me used to judge ourselves against them too and then see if David Hurst had scored and see who else has scored. Paul Stewart, all these guys around your ear wanting to be the best of them, trying to get to the top of the scoring charts. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all part of it. It's a package, as you know. A, Definitely. A complete package. And no one's going to make it with bits of it. Yes, yes, yes. You've got to have the whole thing. Mark, question for you is, um, obviously you guys were were labelled as, you know, Crystal Palace's um, golden generation. You know, you, Ian Wright, Andy Gray, Alan Pardrew. Do you feel like, you know, you regret not, you know, getting your hands on on, on the FA Cup or do you just see it as, 
you know what we maximized yes. our ability we done the best we can do and and we're proud of that yeah it's a it's it's a difficult one it's very easy for me to say obviously obviously that the you, even now when i when i think back to it you still think the result can change you you do you, you can't change the results done it's done and dusted it's gone you lost an FA Cup final and a, you you drew one but lost the replay and then in 1992 93 we lost it to to Arsenal when I was at Sheffield Wednesday so you know I've played two FA Cup finals and lost and a league cup final and lost I've had two promotions and and would I would I have rather lost in the semi final no I'd rather get get there and have the chance because you always have a chance when you're there um and it's just one of those situations where it's it's the regret that you don't do do it for the fans because the fans were excellent yeah. that that year 89 1991 they were the three golden years for for my generation of, of palace player where we got promotion and then we got to the FA Cup final and then the next season we won the the, the synod uh, the the zenith data trophies mm. uh, cup and we finished third in what is now the premier league okay. so that will can can show you the measure of how well we did as a as a team and a club for three consecutive seasons mm. going up, 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 and the pinnacle and and like Steve Parrish, the chairman now says we could we could never dream of finishing third. Mm. You know, it would be a freaky year, a freak when it, when unless the season go your way in <laughs> Leicester, which we all knew in my in my time. There's been some great moments of Premier League football. Definitely. And the, the, you, you would say the Aguero moment was astounding. Mm. And you'd say Leicester City, I put above anything else. Definitely. Because Man City spent big on all these players and that's what you expect them to do. Come up with big, big sort of match winning uh, goals and things like that. But with Leicester, a team who I played for for two years, mm. I, I went, I, I couldn't, I thought that was the best achievement I've seen. And it opened it up for every other team to say, do you know what? We can, they do, can do it and we mm. get it right, yes. Um, Mark, an- another question for you. Um, in fact, before I ask the question, yeah, I remember I was actually watching some YouTube videos and I saw you guys and put eight past South End. I mean, you and right <laughs> <laughs> bagging, bagging some hat tricks, just enjoying yourself. But oh. I remember, um, in 1991, um, Ron knows um, your former chairman who's sadly passed away since then yeah. he made some famous quotes um, that I just want to read out and he said um, the black players at the club lend aside a lot of skill and flair but you also need white players in there to balance things up and give the team some brains and some common sense do you think those comments broke up that golden generation and what do you think no. of those comments no we we um it was um it was really sad at the time because the chairman I still hold in, in high esteem because he was really good to for 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 us as the football team and for the the football club at the time he was a he he did an interview for I think it was a Channel Four documentary and Garth Crooks had done the interview and Garth Crooks called me and said I think you're going to need to see this before it goes out on air. And we were in Sweden. And I think somehow we got a copy sent to us. I don't, I can't remember. So we watched it and we saw what the chairman said. And the chairman was on holiday in Spain. And we went to the manager and said, how unhappy we were with what the chairman had said. So 
Eve spoke to the chairman, the chairman left his holiday, flew to England and flew to Sweden where we were and sat down with all the black players in the team, which required there's, there's about six or seven of us, and said that his words have been take, uh, <clears throat> taken out of context and he was going to write to the show, he was going to speak to the, uh, the, 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 the production company and he wanted the full transcript. And what happened is, what you're not allowed to do now, you can't cut one sentence and drop another part of a sentence in that fit. You can't misrepresent the person. So mm. you, you can't have two separate questions with two different answers and then merge them into one. And that's what they did. So mm. we saw the transcript and he was quite clear on what he was saying, but they merged the two and it was um was unfair on him. But the two, he, he was responsible for saying the things though. That's That, that was the thing. So we, I think we, we felt that sort of Arsenal jumped in on that, and um, and the, the and Ian could have left the year before, and Coppel asked him to stay one more year, and that's when we finished um, the, the best finish we'd had, and then the year then afterwards he went in September, and then the September following that I went. Okay. So it, but it was it was time to check because we it was it was um, the manager wanted to make it a bit more younger. And he said to me, it might be a frustrating time for you here now, Mark. So if I were you, I'd go and listen to what Trevor Francis got to say. So I said to him, I said to him, do you want me to leave? He said, no, I'll give you another deal to stay. But it might be frustrating. I don't want to get frustrated because you're looking to try and achieve something. Um, and, and I'm rebuilding. So it, I, I w- wasn't directly responsible for the team breaking up. Um, but... If it, the manager said to us, if any of the, the top four teams come for you, because they used to call it top four now, it's the top six, isn't it? So if any of the big clubs come for you, I, I won't stand in your way. I'll make sure that the chairman doesn't stand in the way as well. If they come for you, you deserve to go there. And as long as we get the right money, you can go. So when Arsenal came for Ian, the manager let him go. He thought he, he owed it to him. He, he took it. Don't forget, Ian walked into the football club from Sunday morning non-league and he left an, inter- an England international like five years, six years later. So, you know, he worked really hard and deserved the opportunity to play from the big teams and the manager didn't deny him. 100%. Um, I actually wanted to ask you a, a question, Mark, about your um, your relationship with, with, with Wrighty, uh, on and off the pitch, really. Um, you know, as we sort of mentioned in, in, in the intro, you guys had built up a really formidable uh, partnership and, and you know you, you you guys got on really really well. Um, was was he? Would, would you say you know the best person that you've you you've played with um, and, and and had a relationship with both on and off the field? And I, I asked that because um, you know aside from you know the, the numbers that you guys are putting up, I also remember a, a very funny story about um, you guys on a night out. Uh, I don't know if you want you want to share it, um, but it, <laughs> I I, fa- I find I found it quite. Um, Quite, quite humorous, and I, I think our, our listeners would would, would would quite find it quite funny as well. When we were coming home, yeah, was he coming home from the night? Coming home from the night out, so it was, yeah. um, so it was Mitchell Mitchell Thomas who used to play for um, Tottenham Hotspur, and there was Jeff Thomas, the captain, and there was Wrighty and me, and we'd been to a Virgin, one of Richard Branson's like parties at Christmas or something, you know, that sort of thing. So um, we're coming back to mine. It's in the morning. It's early morning. And we pull up at a set of traffic lights and there's a guy arguing with like his wife or his girlfriend or whatever. 
So anyway, right, he said, oh, look, they're arguing. So we all look over, and then he turns and looks at us and sort of does that gesture like, what? And so right, he sort of says, what? And he said to right, and he puts his hands in the air like, what? To righty. The lights change, and Mitchell starts to pull off, and righty put the finger up to him. And um, sort of like we started laughing, and then I turn right now, this is early in the morning, 2 o'clock, something like that. Um, I turn around and I say, oh, my God, he's, 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 turned, he's, he's done a U-turn. He's following us. So Mitchell puts his foot down a bit. And then right, I said, what's he going to do? There's four of us. We'll just get out and blag it. So we get out the car and he, um, and, and he goes, what's your problem? Right, I said, what's your problem? You're the one who's checking. You're following us. You're and he just goes, yeah, you've got a big mouth, haven't you? You've got it. So anyway, and right, says, and, and what? And he said, I'll tell you I'm what. And he put his hand down into the, the side of the, the, car, the, 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 um, the door. And um, pulls a gun out, and he points it at Righty, and, and of obviously, you, like you've you, what six, six, seven yards away, and you kind of I wanted to run, but my legs wouldn't move. And, uh, <laughs> my brain was saying, "Run!" And my legs said, "Stay, stay where you are." <laughs> and, and Mitchell got in the car and hid. And Jeff Thomas was like, he, he'd had a couple of drinks and his contacts were probably coming out. And he's like, hey, mate, listen, don't start all that. <laughs> you know. And um, the, the girlfriend or the wife and that just went, are you mad? Get back in the car now. Get back in the car. He said, I'm going to count to 10. If you're still here, I'm going to start shooting us. It's kind of worse to that effect. You heard four, four doors close and the car pull off as quick as you like. And we got back to mine. And we got got into mine, pulled the blinds down, then put the lights on, looking out the back to see if he'd followed us. And then all of a sudden, we like everybody starts to relax a bit and like. And then right, he says, "Yeah, should have got the gun off him. Should have like pistol whipped him. You know, like all that sort of thing." And, <laughs> and we said, "Mate, you're standing there with your hands in the air, like okay, corral." Like, no, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. He said, "I didn't have my hands here." I said, "No, you didn't. They were up straight." Like, I mean. So it was one of these. It was a lesson to don't get out your car in London. You don't know who you're dealing with. So uh, didn't make that mistake again. <laughs> yeah, Mark. Um, how was it at Leicester serving? You know, as a sub behind, obviously Gary Lineker and Alan yeah. Smith. Did you have to hold your hands like... up and say, you know what, they're better at me at the moment, or was it a bit, you know, a strike as you want to be playing every minute, or did you accept the situation? I mean, I went from the old fourth division to the first. So I'd be going from League Two to the Premier League. So, of course, you know that that's a big jump and you need to be patient. Gary Lineker was like an England striker then. And he was excellent. You know, he's very good. Alan Smith, he'd come a year or so earlier from Alva Church, which is non-league. So he'd done it. So that kind of, I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And, um, and, and what you have to do is, you just have to be a little bit patient. Bide your time. Um, I just, I put in the paper, the, the local guy comes to do an interview with me. How are you doing? What your aspirations did it? I said, well, I was a leading goal scorer at Port Vale last year and I'd like to be a leading goal scorer at, um, at Leicester this year. And then um, that was in the paper. And then the next morning we come to training and Gary Lineker said, Brighty, I'm the leading goal scorer here. You can be the second leading goal scorer. <laughs> <laughs> so he made it clear that he, what where I was in the pecking order yeah, was yeah. behind him. But um, it was it was um, a great first year for me, learning, coming off the bench, working hard in training. You know, I scored like more goals than games in the in the reserves, 
So, you know, you know you're on the right path when you, it's too easy for you in the reserves, but you just got to crack it in the first team. And then Gary left. He got sold at the end of that first season to Everton. And yeah. that's when, obviously, the manager said to me, right, you know, you've been waiting for your chance. This is your chance. Let's um, let's get out there and let's do it. And then on the opening day of the season, we play Everton at home. Gary's come back to Filbert Street. And uh, we win 3-0 or 3-1, and I score two. And um, mm. Gary says to me at the end, oh, do you know what, mate? Well, that... And I sort of like, at that stage, there's no text and anything like that. So I just went, uh, I think Bright's uh, winning in the goal-scoring stakes. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end so of the yeah. season, he, he sort of like, we saw each other and he said, I got 40 goals. What did you get? <laughs> <laughs> he, won, he, he, ended up, he ended up winning the gold boot. I got six, I think. <laughs> so yeah, Mark, so, during this period, um, obviously the first season, should I say, obviously you struggled for a bit of confidence and you actually opened no, no, up. No, no, he did, he did, no, I, I didn't struggle for confidence the first season. The first season was a learning season. So I, yeah. I, I was on and off the bench, you know, I was 22, something like that. I was coming on for 10 minutes, starting a game in the cup, getting 45 minutes, getting 20 minutes. And it was a learning thing. Then the second season when Gary left, as when virtually my opportunity was there, Alan Smith and myself up front, Steve Linex on the wing, and you know I, the crowd got to me a little bit because I stopped scoring and then mm. I was giving the ball away and and you listen, I totally understood it. I, I totally understood it at the time. It was annoying and frustrating, and it's happened to so many players in their careers. You go somewhere and for one reason or another it doesn't happen. But the fact of it was, I worked hard. I came back in the afternoons. I worked harder than everybody else. And one of the coaches there, a guy called Dave Richards, said to me, Mark, I, t- I guarantee you, hard work doesn't go unrewarded. You will get your reward. But what he didn't say is, it's, you don't always get the reward when you think you should you d- deserve it. You might not even get it at that club, but you putting all that hard work in will pay off. And, it, and I happen to have to leave the club to then experience the sort of like the fruition, if you like, of all that hard work, what came together at Palace. I was more relaxed. Um, I, I was in a, a better environment for me, personally. Yes. I, what, the, the crowd beat me up at, uh, at uh, Leicester. It just, you know, they got to me and it was constantly Yeah, so Mark, how, how, did that, how did that feel? I mean, because you opened up about a battle with depression and I mean, this was in the 80s. Nowadays, yeah. we're starting to see the conversation being opened up. So how brave yeah. did you have to be to come out in the 80s about your battle with depression? Yeah, it, it, it didn't, I didn't put it down, all down to, to depression. It was, what happened was, there was, a, there was a, an, an incident where I just, I couldn't, because I'm unconscientious, I, I kind of like, I want to do well and I work hard and everything. I couldn't understand how it wouldn't, the tide wasn't turning for me. And I was just a liar there at night and, and not sleep. And, you know, I had this hanging basket in the chair, you know, in the window. And I lived opposite a park. So I used to sit in it and just just couldn't sleep at night. Just could not sleep. And then I spoke to the club doctor, the club the physio, and he sent me to see the doc. And I explained to the doc what happened. And he got this little flip chart out. And he, um, he, he flipped the first one. And you answer the question. Flips the next, you answer. Flips the next, you answer. You know, and then the last one he turns over, it says, you're suffering from depression. And I said, oh, doc, I'm not suffering from depression. Mm. You know, just because I can't. So I wanted him to give me some sleeping tablets so I could sleep and he wouldn't do it. 
said, no, I'm not giving, I'm not issuing sleeping tablets at all. You've got, you know, you'll find a way you'll find when you're tired, you're going to sleep. If you have a nap in the afternoon, it might be better for you. Just, you know, try and break it all up. So it was close after that period, me moving to palace, which if I was on the slide heading for that depression, the, 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 the upturn, if you can imagine, I'm starting on that way down and now I can't, I can't find a way out. So I'm still heading down and then I go and see the dock. And then before you know it, I'm speaking to Steve Koppel and then I'm moving to palace and I'm, I've curved out and now I'm shooting up. I'm scored on my debut and then I started scoring and then I started playing well. So all of a sudden I felt I was head, well, knowing what you know now about men's mental health and everything, I was heading that way mm. and the move catapulted me up back up to where I was before so you know I, I won't sit here and say I suffered from depression and I was this and I was that. I wasn't in that state I never had to get help I never sought mm. help I, I kind of I think I avoided it with the move the move did made me miss it yeah it was therapeutic and, yeah it was it was uplifting it was mm-hmm. I w- it was new it was London it was everything I'd wanted and in the old days yeah. you got an A to Z Remember, you know, you got an A to Z and you found your way around London. You can <laughs> drive up to London at night and Oxford Street, Regent Street, Buckingham Palace, Big Ben, all that sort of thing. Because mm. I was from the north. So moving to London, you got to discover where you are, where you're going and everything. So the whole thing was exciting for me and fresh and new and gave me a, you know, and, and plus the football was great. And the um, the teammates were all good. Like there was, it was a, an, eth- an, eth- an ethnic mix um, and we just had, then we, you know, we got that young team, that aggressive young team. We were, were full of ourselves and tried to achieve something. And, you know, and then it all turned around. So my life, not just my football career, mm. my life changed direction. Mark, very quickly from me, last one before we move on to the, you know, next part of the interview. Um, but I recall you um, talking about, um, you know, the chapter on racism in your book. Um, and this was actually on, you know, the Crystal Palace um, YouTube channel. And you were saying that after the Raheem Sterling incident, you had to, you know, hark back to that to that chapter and rewrite it. Why yeah. Why was that? Yeah, because it was out of date. And I what do you mean written, by that? Well, as you, as you know, if, if you do a book, you do it over a period of time. So it might take a year to write or, you know, eight months, 10 months, something. So we, you, 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 there was 19 chapters in my book and obviously one's on, not just one chapter on race. There's, it's it's it it plays a part throughout my my career and my life as well. So, you know, I I said I'm so pleased for the players that they can walk out and they they're in an environment where you don't get booed just because of the colour of your skin because you come out and warm up and every time you touch it you don't get booed and you know if the ball goes out you don't get hammered by the fans who are in that area. Um, and it's it's very isolated now. There are there are a few things, a few occasions now and again, but it's very isolated. And then, obviously, the the by the time you've done that, you, you cover that chapter quite early, and then you come into the end chapters, just about to finish off the book. And the the publishers just said, you know, we're looking at the the the, the section on racism and everything that Mark submitted, and I think it looks out of date. If we print this book now, people are going to say. What's he on about? It's so it's great now. It's not great now. We've mm. had all these incidents, and so we we had to rewrite it. And then when when Man City came down to play Palace, I was I was just happened to be in the tunnel area as the the Man City players arrived and everything. 
and Raheem Sterling, who you know, I don't know other than to to watch and commentate on, and and you've watched his career develop and grow. He came round the corner, and he's. I looked at him. He looked at me, and I goes. I held my hand out, and he put his hand out and shook my hand. I said, "I just want to say, well done. You know what I'm talking about. Well done. Keep that going, and all the best today." And he said, "Thank you. Appreciate it." Guardiola was walking behind me. And I think he wondered what I was saying. I'm just thinking, what's he saying? Because it wouldn't be, you know, correct to sort of say something negative to a player as he's walking in the door and that. So I saw Pep sort of look at him and ask, you know, but I think Ryan Sterling sort of said, oh, yeah, I know he is an old player. And Because well, we used to fight that battle on our own. There was like a handful of us dotted around and we used to be constantly doing the kick it out speaks and going to schools and holding up banners and wearing T-shirts and that sort of thing. And he took it to a new level. He took it to a new level. And he, he changed pers- one person, in my opinion, changed the way that the, the media reported on black players. When he just asked them to just, could you just look at what you're writing about two guys who've both bought their mum's houses. And, you know, you're saying one's great because he's bought his mum's house, the other one's flash. And they use all these key words, which, as you know as well, you, you, you read... You read the papers, right? And we we know as black people that that is written to and, and aimed and directed straight at the black guy. Mm. Chip on shoulder, flash, blingy. Mm. Bl- right, it's kind of words they don't say. You don't hear anybody say to it about a white player. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Mm. You know, it's a very negative comment. Yeah, tarring you know, the about, image, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's, uh, and Raheem's just pointed out to the media, look how you write about two guys who've done identical things here for their mums and it's both great what they've done you know they've earned so much money that they bought their mums and dads houses but look how you report on it and he was absolutely 100% right and he continues to be right on many things he says you know and and the, the way the England team reacted in Bulgaria as well with the whole right we're not we are not standing for this for these guys and and you know obviously I spoke to Gareth because Gareth was an apprentice when um, an academy player at, at Palace when when he made his debut with us and everything. Mm-hmm. So, and I spoke to him and he said, do you know the most pleasing thing about it, Mark? It was led by the white players. They were the ones who were saying, right, we want to get to half time. We want to get to half time. We want to give them a chance and everything. So they, the warnings were sent out and everything. So they got, they, it wasn't it was as if the black players saying, right, that's it. We're not doing anything now. The white players were the ones saying, they could hear things and they were saying to the referee. So he said that was more pleasing that they were sticking up for their teammates. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, a few weeks later, we have their own, our own problem in this country when the game gets abandoned. Yeah. So, we know, we, like I said, we're, at, we're not out of the woods. We're not. But it's so much better. But there's still, as we see, plenty of work to be done. And it's Definitely. education. It's going to be time. Because as it moves along, I always tell the story about my son when he, he, he went on about this kid at school. Oh, blah, 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 this kid. And then, like, a few weeks later, I see, I, I, I'm picking him up from school. And he said bye to to his mate. And I goes, who's that mate? I haven't seen him before. He goes, he's the one I've been telling you about, the new boy. And he was like Japanese. And I said, I, but say his name was Charlie or or he had a, like a, say they couldn't pronounce his first, so they called him this name, like, you know, whatever it was. So it just sounded like an English kid. So I said, you never said he was Japanese. And he went, oh, didn't I? And that, the message to me there was, it doesn't matter. It's his friend from school. Mm. And and that, that made yeah. me that made me think, do you know what? There's gonna be a time when it they don't the, the kids don't won't care. They'll mm-hmm. just be surrounded by 
an ethnic mix of, mm. you know, Asians and Africans and, you know, Caribbean, whatever it is, mm. and they don't care where they come from or everything. They'll just be friends. And and you hope that the more that happens at a younger age, the less mm-hmm. likely that racism will happen it occur at, a, at an older age. Yeah, so we're going to move on to the next phase of your career, what you're doing now, which is yes. the role of director of Under 23 Development at Crystal Palace. You know, we all watch the Palace games and we see Match of the Day and we see you in the stand with Steve Parrish, you know. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I wanted to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been well documented that both of you get along like a, a house on fire. <laughs> I talk, <But> yeah. he <laughs> listens. <laughs> yeah, so what I wanted to ask is, um, in this next phase of your career, how is it managing, you know, the new talents? Like we know Naya Kirby, he was part of the England Under-17 World Cup team that won it. You know, Brandon Pirick, Jacob Mensah. So how is it now trying to lead you know, the next emerging talents into yeah. the first team. Right. So I don't want to take credit for anything that's not due for me because that's not right. Um, you know, I'd say Aaron Basaka came through and Richard Shaw and Dave Reddington were the two under 23 coaches at the time, worked on him, worked with him, held him back, talked to him, got him out there, encouraged him, um, disciplined him. Uh, so the whole shebang, you know, my... My my part comes in when, as you know, if you don't go from the 23s to the first team, then there's a gap. There's a grey area. So you, you've played a year of 23s. You need to experience men's football. So what do you do? So you, you the first team squads fall or there's experienced players in there. So you need to go on loan. So that's part of my job, the loans manager. You know, when we had 10 out at one stage this season, and um, and you take a, an active part in staying in touch with the player, reporting back to the club at the end of every month, having conversations with the sporting director, Dougie Friedman, having conversations with Steve Parrish, recommending things in your monthly reports, recommending at the end of the seasons, whether you think we should keep the player or we should maybe try to cash in, or whether you think the player's going to be good enough or ready, uh, and who should be playing at what level. So these are all really important key parts of players development and careers and you know we've 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 got Alexander Soloff we've got Yaroslav Yak Connor Wickham's out Ryan Innes Sam Woods Joe Topper Dion Henry Scott Banks Jason Lockilo we had Josh Ajay who's a young 117 he was out and Giovanni McGregor so they they, Mm. and that takes some some you've got to watch clips and feed advice back to them. So you need analysts to help you to do clips to send them. Um, so it's it's uh, to me it's great. It, it's I, I I love it. You know, and I love talking to the players about it. And as much as you try and reiterate to them, it, the most important thing for you to get out on loan as quick as you can and play men's football. They seem to want to hold on to that notion that they can get into our first team like Aaron did. And as you know, yeah. that that's not always possible. Wilfred got in with the the, the 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 team were the club was in administration. You don't have you don't have the budget to go and get any other players in, so you play the best young ones. So Wilfred and Kleine, um Victor, uh, Victor Moses, and yeah. Sean Scannell, etc. They all get their chance. Ben Watson, all that because the club are in a situation where they they can't afford to go out and buy players, and and so you've got to play the kids from the academy. And you can only get played if you're good enough. Mark, I wanted to ask a question. Out of all those lone players, 
Alexander Soloff is a very, very interesting one. He's someone he that's gone on loan to Trabzonspor, 19 goals yes. in 26. When you look oh, at the current like 20, Palace predicament. Like 25 goals this season. Yeah, in the yeah, league. I, yeah. I had a long conversation with him yesterday. So we were like, um, we FaceTime each other. And it, 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 as, as you know, in this, this era now, we're obviously, somebody might listen to this podcast in, in a year's time or two years' time. You know, we're in the midst of the, the, the coronavirus where the, the season stopped. So the players are still at those clubs and I have to try and stay in touch with them and make sure they're okay, make sure their, you know, their, their mental health's fine as well as, you know, their fitness levels. And so you just stay in touch and words of encouragement, etc. So I had a long conversation with Alex yesterday, about 40 odd minutes. And, um, you know, he's a funny guy as well. He's absolutely enjoying it and loving it there. And he said to me that, you know, the, the, the best atmosphere he's played is Besiktas in his career. He said, you can't hear somebody two yards away who's trying to tell you something. The noise wow. level is so high all the way through the game. And he said, also, the Turkish, they, they it's religion to them, football. You know, there's there's religion, religion, and there's football. And they're kind of like level with each other. So, you know, it's all, they pray for the team and everything. And, um, and, and, he, and he just said that, you know, when you when you go away and you're warming up, people clap you, like because he's the leading goal scorer in the league. And he said that's really unusual because it's not like opposing fans really give anybody else any credit. They they'd rather boo you. You know it's like people like like to used to love booing Ian, right? And but yeah. he, to him that was respect. Mm. You fear me, so that's why you're booing me. So with Alex, he said that the crowd will cheer you and clap you in the in the warm up and everything when they mention your name, because you're doing so well. He said it's just really bizarre, um, but yeah, he's we just spoke about um, the, the the season, him, how he feels, how his mindset is, what he felt about when he left to go on loan because he went to Ghent last year in Belgium, and this year he's gone there, and and we have long conversations about confidence and I, he I said to him I can draw a parallel with you to my time at Leicester mm, yeah where yep, it yep. didn't quite work for me and I was working hard and what happened is Alex got in the team here and then he got injured then he was on the bench then he was coming on for five ten minutes and yeah 15 yeah. minutes and then he played in the cup and then you know so you know he knows as well as me that he's he's he, he did he did he did quite well at Ghent but he's done exceptionally well at Trabzonspor. And I think everybody's pleased for him because it shows you that even though you might lose some confidence, you don't lose faith in your ability. And he's a prime example of that. He lost some confidence, but he didn't lose faith in himself. And he's bounced. And he's, he's done really, really well. Yeah, well... Um, I was going to say, we're very, you know, proud of him to, you know, regain his confidence. But Mark, the question I wanted to ask you is about, you know, the manager of, of the senior squad, um, Roy Hodgson. I remember um, a few months ago, we actually bumped into you at the training ground and, you know, we had, we had a conversation with you and the ambience and the coach and the club looked very good at that present moment. And I recall, um, when we were leaving the training ground, Roy Hodgson was actually the last um, person out of the training ground. He's been there since 2017 and he's done an outstanding job in my opinion. Why is it that, you know, from the outside looking in, he doesn't receive the credit that he deserves in my opinion? Who doesn't give him the credit? I think 
the outer community, like opposition fans, um, the media, I don't think they give him the adulation that they give some other managers because the job that he's done at Palace has been terrific. Yeah, it, it, there's no question about it. He um, he kept us up, um, solidified the the, the team. Um, the players have the utmost respect for him. You know, it's um, you you have a squad of twenty five. Not everyone can play. We know this, so there'll always be people out the team who want to be in the team. But you know, not the detriment of of going in the papers or you know slagging the manager off all the time or you know saying he's not this is not that. I think the players have the utmost respect for him. I think that's why. Training is very consistent and very disciplined. Um, the manager, even though there's a huge age gap between the manager and the players, yes, um, he's got he's got Ray Lewington, who's an exceptional coach, working alongside him, and then Dave Reddington, who was promoted from the 23s to the senior team. He's uh, Redders in his 30s, so he's a bit more sort of a connection, if you like, mm. between the the younger players. But, you know, in essence, the manager speaks several languages. Yes. You know, there's a lot of French-speaking players in the, in the team, German-speaking, obviously, Schluppi and, um, and Max Meyer. Meyer. Yep. Um, yeah. So, so, but the manager can, he could converse in several languages, but I think the, the spoken language at the training ground is English. That's what the manager deals with. Um, so I think that within the club, certainly gets the recognition. Mm. There's always... Oh, and, the, and the manager will be aware of it. There's always some fans who want more, want something different, um, think that we deserve something different, think we deserve to be better than where we are. We'd all love to be seventh or, or sixth or eighth, mm. you know, because our, our intention is to try and break the top 10. Mm. You know, we can, this is, this will be what it's, um, seventh consecutive season in Premier League. So obviously we, 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 the first few seasons we did better than we'd done previously. And then we've had a, a couple of seasons where, you know, it was two, 2016, 2016, we got to the FA Cup final, which was another opportunity to get some silverware for yeah. the club and didn't quite work out. So the, the, the answer to your question is, I, I think that Roy's, I think Roy's respected and admired definitely. within the club, definitely. Mm. I think with large sections of the fans, he is as well. And I think the media show him and the utmost respect as well. And so do other managers. Yes, yes. Other managers, you know, um, definitely. Um Mark, show, I show the manager respect. Mark, I just want to zoom in to, to what you said earlier. Um, I want to circle back to you saying that Roy has managed to reinvent himself. How has he done that? Because that's a theme that I always hear from the outside. He's reinvented himself. He's adapted to the modern game. How, how has he done that? Yeah, I wouldn't use the words reinvent because I think he showed what he could do when he was at uh, Fulham and they got to the Europa League final. And beat some amazing teams along the way. I think it was Juventus was, was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he's he he showed what he could do and how solid that team was. The platform, the base he had, you know, the 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 back four. You know, was it Konchesky, Hangeland? Hangeland, yeah. Was it Hangeland? Excuse me. Yeah, it Konchesky. was. I think Aaron yeah. Hughes as well. Bred Breda, Breda Hangeland. Yeah, yeah. Hughes yeah. and um, the Ghanaian. John Dixon Atuhu as well was in the midfield, I, I remember. John, I think yeah, Johnson. John Panson, Dixon Atuhu. Oh, um, yeah. Andy Zamora. And, yeah. Andy Johnson, oh, yeah. Bobby Zamora, yeah, yeah. Clint Dempsey. Oh, yeah. Um, that was a good team, um, actually. That was a great Murphy. team, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, yeah. So, the manager, yeah. He, you know, when you say reinventing himself, I would just say that he, he, he's always been around. You know, he's um, 
you know, Inter Milan coach, England coach, um, Liverpool coach. So, you know, he's had some big jobs. So he, he came to Palace at a time of need and he kept us up, got us all solid, got us all work, working together. And he, he continues to do that. He's very thorough on what he does. And, um, you know, I know that a couple of former players um, of, of, uh, of his speak really highly of him about his coaching ability. And even when I went to I went to watch um, Glasgow Rangers um, not long ago, a, a, month, a couple of months ago, um, after the game, I went to the manager's office, Stephen Gerrard's, and obviously Gary McAllister is a really close friend of mine from our days at Leicester. So, and I know Stevie for a long time because we shared the same agent. So he just said, "How's Roy, Brian?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Pass, pass on my best to him, please." And I, I liked him. I, I learned, I learned from him. I learned quite a bit from him. So. So if Stephen Gerrard says that, you know, and, and Paul Lynn said working with Roy at, at Milan made him want to be a manager. So, you know, it's highly regarded in, in football. Simple. Fair, fair point. I, I had a quick question, Mark. Um, and that was that we, we know that recently uh, Bromley Council uh, granted the planning permission for the club to um, uh, build the academy site in, in Beckenham. Um, I just wanted to get some uh, your thoughts on basically, you know, what what the plans are uh, for that um, for the, for that for that piece of work that's going to be going on. I can reveal that the plans for the academy are to build an academy. <laughs> <laughs> but, more more, spe- more specifically, <laughs> more, more specifically yeah, because because I, I know uh, Steve Parrish recently came out and he was speaking about. Um, sort of the community work that the, the club are yes. doing and, and open it out to, 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 to the community and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I just wanted to get a bit more of well, insight just, in, well, into that. Obviously, you, you know, when it's, it's, it's the catchment area, isn't it? It's a great catchment area. Everyone talks yeah. about South East London. You know, I think the highest percentage of players playing in the Premier League come from South East London, which is 11%, I believe. Nine or 11% of players in the Premier League are born <laughs> in South East London. That's our, that's our catchment area. So yep. Hudson Adoy, Ruben Loftus Cheek, they're, they're from, they are from our catchment area. But why didn't we get them? Because Chelsea have got an excellent academy, an excellent staff, and um, are run really well. And they take all the best players. And they scoop them all up. So what um, Steve thought was, you know, we've had some great ones come through ours, haven't we? You know, it, over the years, from our time, from a, from Solarco, from to Richard Shaw, to Gareth, to Gareth Southgate, um, Andy Woodman, Andy Anser. You know, we can go back. Simon Osborne, Roger, um, Simon Roger. There's just so many come through and made, you know, help the first team. So Steve has always it wanted to 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 blend <clears throat> a, a 50-50, if you like. He'd love to have five kids from the academy, and and you know, and along with the five players or you, six players you buy. Um, that would be his ideal scenario. It'd be like when when Barcelona won the Champions League. I think was it five from the academy, from um, Messiah. Yep, yep, yep. So, so that's that that's been Steve's sort of like dream to push this along. And obviously, Josh and Dave, the American owners as well, have yeah. been behind it. So when the planning permission went through, I felt a sense of relief for for Steve really because he put a lot of time into it and the plans and. You know, the the the, the centre as it stands right now used to be a goal centre, and you know, and actually played there before as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you know, the pitches haven't been great. You know, they've they've done the best they can with the wet weather we had before the coronavirus took place. We, we had lots of games there. You couldn't train there every day. 
and now we've got this state-of-the-art drawing that's hanging around the, the academy and the boys can see it and the staff are looking forward to it, obviously, and the club are going to have to get ready for it. With You know, you need double the amount of staff. There'll be teaching rooms. There'll be, you know, education centre. There will be all sorts. And what you hope is it'll be so impressive that you will now get those guys who will come to us rather than go to Chelsea or Arsenal or wherever because we have the facilities the facilities in the catchment area should mm. help us to scoop up more of the players. More of the players will help us in the, term, the, the situation like Wilf and like Aaron Basaka, where the younger ones see these guys play for the first team and they have aspirations of doing the same thing and emulating. So it's fantastic that the um, the, the council have given us permission to go ahead and the, 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 that'll start very, very shortly. That will, you know, they want to get that up, get the dome up and, and get part of it up and running. And then obviously when it's all done, then you, we will try and get cap ones. Well, we hope for hopefully get cap one status. Um, yeah, and that's... that puts in a better better position to to bring young players through at our football club. Yeah, so Mark, um, obviously throughout this um, interview, we've spoken about um, a man in passing that's recently, you know, celebrated 10 years at the club, you know, Wilfred Zaha. This is a man that I've played with, you know, I played with through the academy. I've seen, you know, his career go from strength to strength. And every time I see him play, like, I'm proud of him because I know what he's had to go through. Well, I know some of what he's had to go through from playing with him, you know, to make it to this level. You know, when we used to train at the Crystal Palace Dome, you know, walking that long walk from the bus stop time and time again and seeing what he's made of made of himself is, is very good to see. But from the inside, how would you analyse his 10 years he cemented himself as a legend. I remember the game against Watford, you know, in the playoff final, winning that penalty that Kevin Phillips converted. So how would you sum up Wilfred Zaha's 10 years at the club? Well, I just think that you've given a great summing up there of, of your knowledge of him and what he's done. Um, you've played with him, so you know that it's a struggle and it's hard yep. to do and yep. how, how tough he's had to be. Um He's the most fouled player in the Premier League over the last few seasons. Now Eden Hazard's left. Um, he developed. We all saw him get into the team and, and he developed. I think Paul Hart was one of the first people to play him. And um, he's, he's, he is a what we call a Crystal Palace player. <clears throat> I'm full of admiration for him because it's tough. And I know how tough it's been. You know, he's, he's, he's played like, what, 370 games or something like that. Um, you know, and, and he's twenty-seven years of age. Yeah. So if you if you if you if you work it out, he's been he's you know it's ten years he's been at the club, and um, he made his debut, excuse me, ten years ago. So he's had a, a year at Manchester, the year or so at Manchester United, where he didn't play. So he's he's averaged thirty-seven games a season. 37 wow. games a season Crazy. with a season out. Extremely robust. You know? Durability. He mm. is. He is. He is. I don't, I don't want to touch some wood wherever it is around me. Touch some wood and say <laughs> that, you know, he, he's, he's as robust as they come. Mm. He's what's needed. He has what it takes to be a professional footballer at the highest level. He has speed. He has endurance. Um, he's the most skillful player I've seen at this football club. Without question. And, that, um, and he's an icon at this football club as well. And and quite rightly so as well. And we celebrate him 
because there's to me nobody can do what he does on the ball in the Premier League. I, I don't see anybody can do some of the stuff that he does. Yeah, some of He's, the stuff that we see is like magic tricks. Oh. <laughs> like, honestly, <laughs> so you can imagine what you see on the Saturday. But if you go out and watch the training, you see it there as well. Mm. How he. He looks like he's going to go one way and he drags it back to the sole of his foot. <laughs> changes, does a step over, you know, step over the left, step over the right, drags it with his left, puts his foot on it with his right, turns and gets out of the space. And you say, how did he get out of there? How did he get out? But you know what he's, he's great at? And he does everybody at, at the training ground. He just manages, when you're talking casually, wherever, just nutmegs you. You know, if you're standing there talking, just pokes the ball through your legs. And one time the gaffer was... They were having a drinks break and they came over and the gaffer was talking to Ray about what they were going to do next. Mm. And Wilf toe-poked the ball from about 10, 15 yards away and it went through the gaffer's legs. And like, <laughs> obviously, Wilf like, will turn and start laughing to one of the players. <laughs> you know, and the gaffer will turn around and look and go, who's that? Who's that? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Like, and like <laughs> in that kind of way, like, you know, he's, he can't help himself. If you're walking like at the side of the training ground and he sees you walk, he'll just poke it and try and nutmeg you. He can't help himself. Yeah. He loves it. He's, he yeah. can, you know, he's 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 very dry. He's, he's 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 quite funny. He's he's the most demanding player for interviews and everything. So, um, you know, seven brothers. I think a sister. He, yeah, he gives a lot to charity. Yeah, that's what um, I wanted to mention. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, he does. They do. Listen, our players do some great things. They have whip rounds, and they in this coronavirus situation. They've, they've chosen like, I think it's like between 15 and 20 charities locally, local people, our people, season ticket holders, whatever, and they they distributed the money to those charities or those schemes which are trying to help people. And they, haven't, they, 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 don't want it to, they want to do it you know, publicity free. And I know that some of the times they take a kicking, but they've done a lot of stuff. And Andros Townsend you know, set up a fund to, to try and help the NHS staff as well. Um, and they do, th- they give, they give a lot, but it goes unnoticed and they don't of course. see any good publicity for it. And the team get a bit of a kicking for it. But I know that Wilf donates, you know, as we know, 10% of his, to the church. He has, uh, I think it's a school in the Ivory Coast. I think yeah. his sister and his mum run that. Um, and he, he gives a lot. He gives a lot, Wilf. And um, he gives a lot of pleasure to the, to the fans and he gives a lot of pleasure to the staff and to the, to the other players and with him we're strong there's, there's no yeah, question about it that's one thing that I think is probably underpopularized um, because I remember Wilf as a person very funny you know giving and you know he's someone he's a people's person but I think people see him on the pitch and think oh he's throwing his hands they've got this perception of him as a diver you know when you know since yeah. VAR has been introduced you know he's won a few penalties but what I wanted to ask is when you speak to Palace fans they almost say like it feels like he's like a baby that's been risen and he's 18 years of age now now is the time to leave the house and you know there's been rumours over a few transfer windows that yeah he might be leaving is there a realisation within the club that you know what within the next 6 to 12 months Wilfred Zaha might be leaving the club that's been the last six to 12 months that people have been saying it. Um, people say it all the time. <clears throat> I think people say it so much that the manager's tired of it, the, the chairman's tired of it, um, and the players. There's always somebody being linked to Wilf, always somebody. 
um, and will continue to, to to be linked because he's a he's a very good player. But as as far as I'm concerned, I I love him in the Palace shirt. I'd want him to stay. I know it's selfish. You know, I think he would like to play Champions League football. But I think if the if if somebody comes for him, I think if the offer's right, I think Steve Parrish has already said. If the offer's right and it's good for him and it's good for us, then they won't stand in Wilf's way. But, Mark, you know, what's the fee what, that will take you, to um, make Zaha leave? I don't, I don't know. I don't know the fee. But you can't, you can't <laughs> buy Aaron Basaka for fifty million and mm. um, offer, and then um, Arsenal offer forty million for Wilf. That doesn't, that doesn't seem right, does it? Doesn't, yeah. You're just saying, well, that doesn't add up. So the. The fee will be the fee at the time if the club feel it's right. If Wilf says he wants to leave and the fee's right, then that that will be it. I don't I don't set the fee. I don't say sixty, eighty, or a hundred. Mm. Um, but you know, is what we all know is he would be very difficult to replace. Yeah, and, and you know? yeah, yeah. So the the challenges are from from the club's point of view, from from Steve Parrish's point of view, and Josh and Dave, the owners, uh, is you know. If the if somebody wants him and if Wilf wants to go and the offer's right, then then everything everybody would say right. It's the right time for him to leave, and we can't stand in his way. Yeah, and, and Mark, just just a final one. This is a bit of a you know flippant question, but the question is, when um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka was was in training and Saha came up against him, did Saha get the better of him? Because I would be interesting to see this battle because <laughs> you used to see it on the training ground all the time. Mm. And, and Wilf's Wilf's words to me were. Righty, can't you get Aaron alone in the championship? And I said, do you think he can play in the championship? He goes, easy. He goes, do you know what, Brian? I play against him every day. So sometimes he gets the better of me, but most of the time I probably get the better of him. But it, it it's balancing out more wow. now that mm. he gets, he said, and Aaron likes that challenge. Yes. I said to him, it doesn't matter where you go, mate. You're not going to play against people better than Wolf. You're going to train against this guy every day. Mm. He's going to make you better. So Aaron always credits that if he could play against Wilf, he, he shouldn't be scared of anybody else in the Premier League, which he, he wasn't when he got in the team. He played against the top teams. The first four or five games were like Chelsea, like Arsenal, Man City or something. He played against the top teams. So yes, it, Wilf said to me, sometimes Aaron gets the better of him, sometimes he gets the better of Aaron, but it's wow. a, it's a split. It's a split. It used to be a split. So, and they used to laugh and joke about it. But what you want to do is train hard. So when you play, you play hard. Yeah. And, you, and if you if you played against someone like him, and if say you're not focused and concentrated on 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 any given day in training, he will embarrass you. It will embarrass you. I'm telling you, who you are. If you're, if, if you think you're gonna have a, a, a bit of a oh, I'm gonna have an easy day today, and you come up against him. Yeah. It'll ruin you. Yeah, I think I actually muted my mic because you know I've been on the receiving end of some nutmegs. Uh, oh. To be honest, he's a he's a magician because oh. I used to play left back and he used to play right midfield coming through the academy. So our manager at the time, Colin, you know, used to put us one v one. And, you know, sometimes he used to rip me up in it through the legs, like just everything, inside, outside. Dej will call just me foul. after training and he'll be like, oh, I've got a headache, you know. I'll just be like, yeah, what? 
spin, spin it around too much. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he's a he's a real top, top talent. And yeah. as you said, Mark, um, it's Mission a joy to watch best, him at yeah. Palace. But um, obviously, from, from a fan's point of view, I think he deserves to maybe push on to another level. And from speaking to Crystal Palace fans, as I said, it's like a child that's, you know, served his apprentice and, you know, let him go and enjoy his career at a higher level. Say you. what I'd like to say is that's not what I believe I'd like him to Mm. stay of course I want him to stay of course of course you want him to come out in those colours and you know when he said he wanted to leave just before the transfer window and then everyone's wondering how the fans are going to be with him but as soon as he got on the pitch and that you know they cheated yeah Yeah, and he's fully committed Mm. Do you know people like, well, they, they can't not try. So, you know, some of the foreign boys, when they make their mind up, they want to leave. They they kind of switch off a little bit and they, they, they don't work as hard and things like that. People like Wilf, he, 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 that, that isn't in him to go out and not try. So, you know, you see how hard he tries when we play every week home and away. You know, he's trying. He, he gets emotionally involved in the game and yeah I remember the game against Brighton this season oh. <laughs> Shiletto yeah Shiletto yeah. is trying <laughs> I know and he gets and and what happens is he's one of those people who he, that gets him going Ian Wright used to like doing the same thing getting involved with the crowd looking at them putting his hand to his ear all that me I didn't have energy for that I just I just focused on concentrating on the game but that gets Wilf going when they boo him it gets him going and then you know, some things have happened where he's on the receiving end but gets a booking. And that's where he sees an injustice. He, 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 he walks off going, are you kidding? Two people get into a... He, Wilf gets held, dragged to the floor. He gets up. As he's standing, like, looking over the guy, the guy stands up and they both come square up and the referee books them both. Now, Wilf's argument is, why have you booked me? Why have you booked me? He's the guy who's pulled me down to the floor. It's a foul. You've blown your whistle. You've given the foul. And we get up. And now he wants to confront me and push his head in my face. I mean, like, um, who was it from from, from Watford? Um, Decore, one of them. Kapui, maybe. Was it Kapui? Put his head in Wilf's face. (laughs) And you're going, like, hold on a minute. If that was, like, another player, like, I don't know, they'd be dropping down on the floor and rolling over. But because he doesn't, but then he goes to the referee, right, look, what, right, what are you going to do about that? So I think Wilf going to end up getting booked. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to book you for being on the receiving end and arguing. So that's that's where he sees as the injustice. And I have to agree with him as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, uh, Wilf and, and Adam Traore are, are certainly up there in terms of most uh, uh, fouled players in the, in, in the Premier League. Jack Grealish as well. Jack Grealish, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Right. I mean, wow, we've, we've completely lost track of time, haven't we? Um, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's been an absolutely fantastic and, and comprehensive, uh, interview. We've, we've covered, uh, Palace and what you're doing at the moment. We spoke a bit about Wilf, you know, your, your playing, um, uh, career as well. Mark, your, your book, um, you know, growing up as well. Um, I think it, it, it's, it's definitely insight that, that everyone listening back is going to really, really enjoy and, and, and appreciate. Certainly in this time where, um, you know, everybody's uh, not got much uh, to crack on with. I think it's, uh, you know, we're a, a nice little present f- f- from us to, uh, to to the listeners. Don't you guys agree? 100% Mark is a legend. 
110 percent yeah, mark yeah. is um you know a legend is loosely used in my opinion nowadays mm. but i think mark is certainly befitting of this title and you know yeah. the insights the the gems of knowledge you know speaking for about development your yeah, career yeah. and how both of it's been interlinked with you know alexander Solov being the perfect point in case and mm. i think our listeners are going to enjoy it i know mark is going you know red face at the moment <laughs> <laughs> Marks, Marks, Marks in the process of rolling his eyes. <laughs> but I tell you, I tell you what I'll do, guys. Right, you can you can give what you can give one of the books away to your listeners. Set a quiz question or something, and um, I'll you tell me who the person is and give me the address and I'll sign it and send it to them. Thank you, Mark. Oh, so yeah, kind. that that'd so be kind. great. That'd be great. One hundred percent. We're gonna we're gonna do that. So, listeners, you you heard it here first. Uh, we're going to call it a day there. Um, we're going to wrap up. Thank you very much for listening in up until this point. Um, we hope you enjoyed this as much as we have. It's been fantastic. Uh, just a reminder that if you are not yet following us on Twitter, that you can at podcast underscore TBG. And you can listen to our content on Spotify, on SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts. And if you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five star review. If you haven't yet, also, uh, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got some content on there currently uh, to tie you over over this um, this uh, quarantine period. And we'll have um, you know much more coming. So watch this space. Um, Mark, did you want to plug your individual Twitter handle as well to, to uh, let the followers uh, know where to uh, to follow your account? No. No. <laughs> Mark, Mark, Mark's got to be the first person oh, that's, that's chose not to plug himself. That oh, is... it's so, listen, it's okay. Don't worry. You, follow you. You, follow you got you, en- you got enough. You got enough followers, haven't you, haven't you Mark? <laughs> no, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as enough followers. <laughs> I mean, I think we all saw on Mark's uh, Twitter him enjoying, you know, his header. You know, yeah. when he scored, oh, he's got oh, don't be don't don't forget there was two FA Cup semi finals. The other one's coming up. Yeah, that was against Liverpool in nineteen ninety. Yeah, so yeah, so banged in one mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Feeling himself. <laughs> well, anyway, listen guys, thanks for having me. Um persistence pays off. Well done. You came down to the training ground, you 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 were very hungry to, to to get someone to help you out on that, and I'm sure that before the end of the season's out, we'll, we'll try and get you somebody else as well. Um, but well done with the podcast. You've got Thank some you. great names up there, and you you're working hard at it. Nothing comes easy, boys. Nothing. Absolutely. So Thank you, you Mark. lot keep working Thank hard at you. it, and um, we'll speak soon. Okay. Thank you. Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much, Mark. I think we 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 can leave it there, guys. Until the next episode, over and out. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 